0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 23 of Drop the Needle in the Haystack, a podcast where we take a listen to tracks on Spotify that have never been played before using the Forgotify website. And also, sometimes we have really neat guests on, which is the case today. And I'm going to pass it to Eric to introduce them.
1: Yeah, today our special guest is Lily Josephsberg. Lily is a classmate of mine and Matt's from the Peabody Conservatory. She earned her Master's of Music and then got a Graduate Performance Diploma in 2017 and then 2018, respectively. She studied specifically piccolo performance with Lori Sokoloff. Um, She earned her Bachelor's of Music and flute performance from Boston University. And she also attended the Manhattan School of Music pre-college program. After she graduated, she went on to do a ton of cool stuff. So she's played flute and piccolo with the New York Philharmonic, Baltimore Symphony, Kansas City Symphony, Boise Philharmonic, Florida Grand Opera, Richmond Symphony. The list goes on and on, folks. I mean, she's played all over the country. It's really, really, really cool. And we're really excited to have her. Um, She's won a couple of international piccolo competitions. There's a lot going on here. A wealth of knowledge and experience. So we're super happy to have you on. Say hello to everyone, Lily. Hi,
2: guys. Thanks so much for having me. Um, this is a really cool podcast, and I've listened to a bunch of your older episodes, and I think it's really cool that you're doing this. Oh,
0: that's so kind. We're very <laughs> glad to have you. Oh, is, is mine first? Yeah. Yours is. I think, uh, I think you're
1: up no. first, Robbie.
2: Wait. No. Oh, wait no, oh, no, no. 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 I'm up that's, first. I'm sorry.
1: Actually, <laughs> no, it's okay. I'll cut Should all Can
2: Produce the piece, then or.
1: Yeah, so Lily, why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about the piece that you have brought us today.
2: Okay, so this is um, from a band called The Badge Man. They were a group of guys, four guys, probably young, um, in England, and they started in 1988, and they only made a couple albums. This song is from an album from 1990, and... um, Their name is actually interesting to me because the badge man, it was like a conspiracy theory actually from this um, iconic picture when JFK was being assassinated. And it was this picture of someone who looked like uh, someone with a badge, like a policeman, I guess. And um, that he was the person sniping JFK. So that's where that name comes from. And I have no idea how it relates at all to this album of songs that they have, but that's the name that they chose. And that is exactly the relationship to their that name. That is
1: a crazy relation that I never would have made. No, yeah, have I no idea. <laughs> well,
2: I I'll googled it really quickly, and this is like the first thing that came up. And I was like, uh, I had never heard of this theory at all. From
3: Yes, yeah, same. I mean, <laughs> and you,
1: I was just You said at they're it, from like... England?
2: yeah from england
1: weird okay
2: yeah <laughs> um but anyway so um this song i well i mainly liked one of the guys names of the in the band's name is simon wigglesworth <laughs>
1: Aww, Wigglesworth?
3: No. <laughs> so i wasn't
2: going to choose this song originally but then i decided to because i was like oh his name is so funny that's like legitimate.
3: <laughs> that's not like a stage name or anything. That's like, no, no, I think that, that's
2: definitely his name. It sounds kind of like English, Wigglesworth. <laughs> so,
0: of
3: the Chesterfield Wigglesworths, you mean? <laughs> oh, no, she's not kidding. Yeah. These, yeah. these are some, okay, these are some English names. Got yeah. John Packwood, Tim Curley neil Um, hancock and simon wigglesworth (laughs) (laughs) those are some very english names
0: (laughs) each one of those could be its own band name
1: (laughs) (laughs) pretty much yeah okay so what track are we listening to what is this album
2: um this album is called kings of the desert and the song is called make me feel um yeah it's just a very kind of indie rock kind of piece um so, yeah. yeah.
1: Great. Yeah. Let's listen to the first 30 or so seconds. Okay, what are your general thoughts lily on uh on this music what is it What does it bring to mind
2: uh, it definitely brings to mind like your classic high school garage band music. Um, I also thought that the drummer was a little bit too much on the back end of the beat um and i yeah, I think it was just. Kind of your everyday band that has like a lot of very powerful guitar chords and not much else. <laughs> um, the singer has a very like lackluster feel to him, and like if you listen a little further on, some of the lyrics are are like um, it says, "Bro, like you plow me into dust, you make me feel like history." So it's <laughs>
1: I don't know. Uh,
0: Fuck, right? Ah, tell me about it. Some aggressive lyrics. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um Yeah, so when they first opened, I definitely got this time especially, I'm not sure why I didn't think of it the first time. I definitely got that school of rock very Oh yeah. yeah. -hmm. School of rock vibes right off the bat. Like you can almost hear Jack Black saying, Yeah, just play these chords right here. All right, (laughs) let's get the bass going, you know. Um very very kind of -of run-of-the-mill standard stuff but it's still good like they're they're doing it well even if it is kind of like a a basic form or almost the quintessential form of what we think of when we think like that period of time rock right Mm -hmm. when is this album from what is this uh forgot to check 1990s yeah 90s rock yeah so I mean, it's, it's hit the nail right on the head for me.
3: Like, like 90s punk. I mean, um, I, I think of kind of the Clash, especially um, bands around that time. Um, the Cure is always like my go-to of like, you know, just that quintessential British punk rock sound. But um, for some reason, I think it might be the key. Like the opening couple of chords before the beat really settles in, uh, it reminds me of that song... Oh man, I want to say it's ACDC, but I could be horribly wrong. It's like... Bah, 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 oh bah, yeah. <laughs> bah, bah. Like if you just listen to the first five seconds, I think you'll know what I mean. It's like out of context. It, it, that's kind of what I thought was about to happen there. But something about the guitar, um, the effect pedal too. I think it's it's just that sound. It, it really calls back... Like, such a specific time period, you know?
1: Yeah. It's... What do we consider classic rock? What is that time period considered? Hmm.
0: Well, That's, like, the most nebulous of all the genres in some yeah. ways. It? Right?
1: Yeah, like, I feel like it's what the 80s and 90s were trying to do when they said, oh, we want to play classic rock. You know what I mean? Because like real classic rock, if we want to go back to the 60s and 70s, doesn't sound like this. But people who were playing quote unquote classic rock in the 80s and 90s, this is that sound. You know what I mean?
3: This is like on the heels of stadium rock, like, you know, like Kiss, but like not as hard, I'd say. Right.
1: It's not quite punk rock and it's not, you know, it's not anything specific like that. That's why I'm saying it's like the people who were like really into classic rock and wanted to be part of the quote unquote rock genre, just like as a whole. I feel like this is that music.
3: Cause this is also a post Nirvana rock scene, right? Where we're like, right. dealing with like the, they were such an influential group that they definitely influenced everyone's sound uh, who came after. Um, but I, I, I think that the big thing that characterizes this is also like it's, it's rough around the edges. Like Lily said, you can hear that, um, it's not it's definitely not like you know studio quantized or anything like that or anything close to that and they I don't even think they would be playing with a click track just yeah based off of the way Lily said like the drummer's beats aren't like disagreeing but it's you know you can hear it it's it's rough around the edges the bass and the drums they're they're like together but there's it's what's what's Robbie's favorite word gritty grimy gritty
0: yeah, yeah. and my favorite mascot too <laughs>
3: the Philadelphia <laughs> gritty
0: <laughs> well I, I think there's something to the, well that that gritty sound and the idea like f- for this you know punk rock or, or a lot of these kinds of uh, genres of rock, it's like it's maybe it's not so important that we're all going at the same time, but we're all really driving in one direction as hard as we can so sort of that's the kind of energy you know it kind of gives off,
1: yeah, it's not about perfection. it's it is about the energy, right It's mm-hmm. what the that's what they're after, right and, and of say- course.
3: I sorry no, i was just gonna edges. say yeah that's like that's the energy it's it's it's,
1: it's yeah like essential to the energy yeah, yeah. it's uh they, it can't they, be too polished sorry go ahead Bobby.
2: yeah i just was like they they don't really seem like a band that would necessarily need people to like identify like this is the exact genre that we're going for here it i mean with genres in general like there's so much overlap and controversy with them anyways that I feel like a lot of, like, kind of rock m- rock music, like, doesn't need to have, like, you know, such a neat label to it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you can just say, yeah, I play rock, and people will basically understand, you know, okay. I mean, we that's, know what la- you mean. that's
3: that's labels yeah. and genres in a nutshell anyway, right? That's like- Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, we're classical musicians, but my classical music varies very greatly from Eric and Lily's classical music, you know? Right. And, like, Robbie, there's there's like a, a an absurd amount of, like, subcategories of jazz, but to the that's average scary. person, jazz is all that matters there, right? It's jazz.
0: Yeah, no, oh, yeah. I think, especially when you start to, like, hyphenate genres, that's where it's, like, that's your that way madness lies cuz it's like oh jazz fusion jazz fusion prog jazz yeah. jazz fucking whatever jazz math whatever something something <laughs> whatever and it's math like rock. what are you talking about how there's only one album that could possibly fit all these descriptors <laughs> like it's just talking about one specific thing and it's not like a whole genre but you know
3: i uh, mean sometimes it's useful cuz like if I say, um, what did I, what did I say earlier? Like glam rock. I remember we talked about glam rock in one episode and we can all conjure up like a certain image of glam rock, you know, Mm -hmm. like with the hair, um, Bon Jovi, that's like, you know, probably glam or hair rock, but hair metal, I think that was the one we talked about, (laughs) but like, you know, I I mean, my dad, I think my dad describes my music the best because people, people ask him like, Oh, what's your son do? And my dad's like, he's a composer. And they're like, like for movies. And my dad's like, nah, he he writes uh he writes classical music, but like weird. Do you
2: think that's the best description for you?
3: I think, well, like if I if I tell someone like I'm a composer of contemporary classical music, like that's not very helpful.
1: No, there's just so much there. It's so much it could be. There's, but classical I mean, music, weird, really conjures up yeah. an image. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Then no you way. get it modern, modern music. That could be anything. That's like that's like people drawing squares on on paintings and saying like it's modern art. You know, like that's what people think if you say modern music, right? Right. Yeah. That's his
2: words for. Um, I don't know how to explain it further. Let's <laughs> move on.
3: No, but like it's it's totally accurate. If if <laughs> I could put that in my artist bio, like on my website like you know the hyphenated quote block classical music but weird weird my dad like (laughs) that's what i want in my artist bio (laughs) Ah. do you guys have one of those by the way like if if you could put like a a dumb quote in your artist bio that, that you've gotten at all
1: kyle and i used to talk about this all the time he knew someone i think that had been reviewed as like a flaming dumpster fire and they put it in their, they put it in their bio. I, I don't remember what band or like artist it was, but they took that quote and put it in their bio. So I think about that a lot. <laughs> like if I got that quote, I would definitely put it in my bio. Like his playing has been described as a flaming dumpster fire. You know, I think
3: um, there's a composer my age. Her name is Shelley Washington. And I, I feel like her music was called like trash, something trash cl- classical. And, and pe- people were like repeating it, and she put yeah. it in her bio. Mm-hmm. Trash. Cl- it says trash classical composer, and she put it. In, it's in her. It's wow. in her Twitter. Her Twitter thing. Ah. Um. Eric, didn't I, yeah. I sent you like I got a review for an album that I was on like five years ago, and the review oh, right. was it was like really weird and backhanded. Didn't it I was a
1: super backhanded review. Like they complimented you, but at the same time, it was like but well, what did what did what did you say? I yeah. like
3: don't even remember what it said, but it's it's like it's out there somewhere. That was a weird one.
1: Look for that for a second, Matt. See if you can find that, Robbie. What yeah. about you? Did you get any see if I can. sick reviews?
0: Uh I mean, if nobody says anything to me, I think it's a win. <laughs> uh, not that I can think of. No, I'm I'm struggling to. Uh, yeah. No, I don't know. I don't know. What about yeah, you, Eric? Funny. You could you could put that mean comment someone wrote on your YouTube channel.
1: Yeah, you know, that's the thing with YouTube channel. You you gotta you gotta expect it, right? It's right. it's coming. Everyone's got an opinion and you, and know. you
2: can't just immediately
1: delete it. No, no, no. You gotta you gotta have a snappy comeback, right? That's <laughs> yeah, how your
3: you... comeback
2: was perfect. So
3: Oh I found mine.
1: Um, oh, what is it? Read us this review, Matt.
3: Okay, so this was for I was on an album of um all music that's written for Puro Ensemble. And the guy first starts by like just talking about that and then saying um, he was he's was talking about how not every work on the album was for the full Pierrot Ensemble. So the, the album is called like it's part of the Pierrot Ensemble series. And he's like, perhaps the title of the release should be mostly Pierrot Ensemble series. Ironically, most of this highly engaging music falls short of the still astonishing originality of the Schoenberg work, but many will be perfectly happy to discover this. So anyways... um,
0: Oh, Oh, fuck yeah, you got us. We're not as good as the most influential modern work of classical music. Whoa. (laughs) But
3: but then it goes on. This is a varied collection of contemporary music, regardless of the instrumentation. Matthew Pellegrino, spells my name wrong, gets things off to a walking start with his jazzy composition, What If?, which adds a driving drum set to the pure ensemble with splashy hi hat work providing the rhythmic backbone of the piece. So <clears throat> I don't think he directly um made fun of me. He just made fun of the whole album. That's what it was. But he did spell yeah. my name wrong. So that's still unforgivable.
1: <laughs> he misspells your name and takes a dump on the album as a whole, but he's still like, but this one was good. You yeah, know, thanks. like
3: he liked my drum set.
1: Yeah. Reviewers. Who needs him?
3: I mean, you would think since he's he's writing a review, shouldn't he at least get my name right? Like, come on. I mean, he just
1: has a copy-paste. Like, that's, yeah. the, that's the irony, right? Yeah. There's really no excuse there. Yeah, but whatever. All right, are we moving on to uh, the next track? I think this is Robbie's.
0: Yes, mine is the next one. <laughs> and the band is called Skeletons with Flesh on Them. And they're a Seattle-based band. And they've been described as, there's a little uh, blurb from... Uh, uh, a review they got. Speaking of reviews, a jangly pop opus that is chock full of ultra catchy songs that sound definitively Seattle. And that's by Andrew Bowe from a publication called Three Imaginary Girls uh, about their particular album we're going to be listening to today. Uh, it's All the Other Animals and the track we're listening to is called Same Moon. And in the interest of uh, Claire and, um, you know, being straightforward, I got this one in Forgotify, I promise. But if you go to their artist page, it does show up in their popular tracks as having some amount of plays under 1,000. So we don't know exactly how the math works out there. But suffice to say, it's not the most well-known track in the world. And I think it's worth listening to. Let's play some, Eric.
1: Yeah, talking real quick about uh, interesting reviews. What was that word? Jangly Pop? Jangly Pop,
3: yes. (laughs) Jangly Pop, okay. I heard janky pop. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs>
1: I had a bad read. Right.
0: Should I do another take on that?
3: No, no, no
1: it's no. okay, Robbie. It's no, okay. I could
0: do it. Two take Robbie, they call I, me. We got to keep the original. <laughs> <Dude>. <laughs> All
1: right, we're going. Here we go. We're out
0: beneath the same to the moon beneath the slowly moving screen.
1: But something deep and vile isn't out the way
0: Oh, I gotta say, Eric, I'm, I'm a fan. I hear they're a jangly pop group that's truck full of ultra catchy songs. But I think this is a really good song, really engaging uh, songwriting for me. I love a good pre-chorus into a chorus. And what we heard just there before the ending, I think, is a good example of that. You know, nice vocal quality. I, I think I've read other reviews uh, about this particular act and some other, like, press stuff that i found and you know comparisons to groups like the decemberists or other indie groups i think are appropriate you know you got that kind of vocal quality to the to the singer but i think it's some really solid songwriting and like i said especially that uh that pre-chorus inter-chorus, i think is particularly effective
1: yeah uh when you said seattle i mean it makes so much sense right I have no problem hearing this as like a Seattle-based group from 2009, when this kind of music was definitely the flavor of the month. Um, I was thinking I said earlier, like I couldn't remember what band it reminded me of. I remember the name, and I'm sure if I went back and listened to this band, they would sound nothing alike. But it gives me the same vibe. It's called Never Shout Never. Did any of you listen to Never Shout Never? Yeah, Matt. Matt, I see Matt lighting up a little bit.
3: I oh man i haven't thought about them in a long time but um there were like two songs that my friend burned onto a cd for me in high school and i i just remember being like oh this is a were they big were they like ever really big
1: i don't think they were ever huge but they i think they went on like warp tour you know like one of that the sounds right yeah 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 but uh definitely gives me 2009 vibes can definitely hear it as a product of the time what do you think lily
2: well, what does Seattle sounding, what does that sound?
1: <laughs> I actually had the same question, yeah. Really? Well, I mean, Seattle has a big, both indie and um, they have a big rap scene, too. Uh, and it's a little esoteric, right? Seattle and Portland, you know, like, if, if someone said this band was from Portland, you'd be able to believe that, right? Okay. Sure. Yeah, you would have an idea. <laughs> like, if you thought Portland indie band, would you have a picture in your mind of what that might sound like?
3: Now you're getting me yeah. here.
1: Yeah. So, okay. Seattle isn't too far off from Portland in terms of, like, I think the Sonic style and, like, the things that they would probably have liked and um, appreciated in their music during this time period. Yeah. Does that
2: make I, sense? Yeah. I like. I, could, I was picturing myself, like, driving in a convertible along, like, the ocean or something. Gotcha. But it's interesting that their the band name is so creepy, but then this song is, like, so happy. Even though the lyrics, I'm not sure if I listened correctly, the lyrics were a little glum, but mm-hmm. the actual tune was very uplifting.
0: Right
3: was well, not that always, like, a nice kind... Of, we've talked about that, right? When, like, the, the music contradicts the the content of the lyrics a little bit.
1: Yeah, I, I'm glad you pointed it out, though, Lily, because I'm not sure, like, I really listened to the lyrics close enough the last couple times to have made that connection, but I think you're right, now that I'm thinking about them, that it is very upbeat, despite, you know, what are rather yeah, glum lyrics. Yeah.
3: Matt, what do you think? I like the we all kind of got like imagery from this because for me this was again it was 2009 so like totally could see it in like a michael Sarah movie soundtrack or something you know kind of like early on in the movie um i think you really helped me figure out or like get get on the same page as you with like the whole seattle thing because for me i think of seattle and i just think of like the huge kind of just punk rock legacy because again wasn't was it Nirvana?
1: Yeah, um, Nirvana was from yeah, I'm pretty sure. I,
3: I feel like they just had such an impact on like the setting the music scene for like the rest of Seattle. But obviously yeah. that's that's a gross overstatement. When you when you got me to the Portland hipsters, then I was like, okay, this totally makes sense then. Yeah. This is this is like some hipster and a half mo- music because yeah, 2010 that was like the height of of like what it, what was it hip hips hip swing or something like that i think i um, is that a is that a genre i no i think it was just like what it was kind of you know how like sometimes it was an
0: aesthetic Eric. yeah yeah
3: like oh, sometimes I see. Okay. sometimes like names for things in the moment don't stick sure um that's what people were calling it at the time like that big kind of like you said they were dime a dozen like hipster music people were trying to call sure. it like the hip swing movement i think
1: Ah, uh, okay. No, I never. Uh, I never Definitely. knew that name. That's interesting.
0: And I think a lot of those bands, the hipstery bands, tended to have like, well, there's a few different ways they would go about it. But one like genre of name was very verbose, kind of ironic name, which I think "Skeletons with Flesh on Them" sort of falls into. Or like you think about like someone like Death Cab for Cutie. That's kind of another oh, really on. long. Uh, <laughs> Indie it is it's a
1: similar vibe. Yeah, I could yeah, see that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Death Cab for Cutie's only accepted because it's like such a big name, but like if you know, like there's such a well-known band, but like imagine just being an indie band with the name Death Cab for Cutie. It would be they're like one of old. those things. They're yeah, like they're all really
3: old yeah. now. Ben Gibbard, he's he's like that's
1: like that is dad rock now. It's like 28, 29 years of music making. Like have oh, they hit 30 yet? He's Have they hit 30 he. years?
3: Yeah, he's insanely prolific. I wouldn't doubt it if they're rounding out 30 soon. Um, yeah. But like, uh, what was, I heard that Avril Lavigne is on, on dad rock albums now. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, I'm, I'm sure that Death Cab is considered dad rock. By, oh.
1: I mean, they were already pretty close to dad rock to begin with. Well, you know, Matt, there are some of our classmates who are who are dads now. So yeah, <laughs> it makes sense, right? You know? I used that to, with
2: Avril Lavigne um, on my boombox, like she was one of the first CDs I have, ever boom had. Box. And I would stop and start it like every two seconds and write down the lyrics. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh no, that's a mood. Or you uh, you copy the lyrics out of the, the the book in the front of the CD. Oh yeah.
2: Oh the- yeah. No, and then I think later I realized that the lyrics were actually in the front of the book. <laughs> mm.
3: No, and then, and then you had to go to songlyrics.com Copy the lyrics into your uh your AIM profile, yeah. <laughs> and you like you like change the you like change the text every like every couple of words to like make the most important words pop or something.
2: Oh, I don't remember.
3: But um, no, I'm really painting Avril Avril a picture Levine. here. That's what
0: I did. That's what like <laughs> I'm recounting a sense memory. <laughs> We're regressing back to two
3: thousand nine. Speaking of Avril Lavigne, just like a little tangent. Um, my, my girlfriend told me that, like, she, you know, you remember iTunes, it would like tell you like your most played stuff. Like, yeah. it would, it would, it would keep count. You could look at it yeah. and be like, you've listened. It's not like Spotify's year in review. That's like funnier. Um, Spotify, uh, the year in review thing where it like makes fun of you kind of, but no, no, this was, a uh, just like the number. Right. So apparently it's just a like, counter. Yeah. It still yeah. does that. Yeah. 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 Okay. So apparently like my my as we all did my my girlfriend liked Avril Lavigne a lot like when she was younger but i think she said that she she used to like fall asleep listening to music and one night she accidentally left it on like just repeat of like a random Avril Lavigne song <laughs> so like her friends wanted to do something for her so they looked at like her most played song <laughs> in iTunes <laughs> And it was, like, one Avril Lavigne song, like, hundreds, hundreds of plays.
1: <laughs> and they were
3: like, wow, I guess that she really likes Avril Lavigne. And I think they got her, like, some ridiculous Avril Lavigne present for her birthday. And they were like, she's like, why, why did you get me this? And they are like, oh, uh, we thought you really liked Avril Lavigne. She had, like, 570
1: plays on your iTunes. <laughs> that's funny yeah i I, sorry robbie i was just gonna say i really like going back to this band i really like this band you sent it to me earlier earlier in the day and like i just let the album play it's a great band like i i'm adding this just to my list of music to listen to
0: yeah no i I think uh, it's really really good music and i just wanted to say real quick that even though the last album on spotify they have i think is 2009 it looks like they're still around. You can t- check them out on Facebook, Skeletons with Flesh on them. And they've got a Bandcamp, too, uh, all under that same name. And so they're still, uh looks like they were semi-recently playing shows, back when we could still play shows, at least. But they're Is still there... kind
3: of... Oh, sorry, I had a question. Oh, yeah. Is their Bandcamp more updated than their Spotify page?
0: That's a good question. Let me take a look here. No, it does not look like it.
3: Okay, I was just wondering, because, but, it, you know, artists getting off of Spotify.
0: Right, right. But there there have been semi-recent posts on their Facebook, and it looks like they might even have some other kind of uh, projects going. So, give them a
1: look. Yeah, it looks like they got another album here. The Fish Don't Mind. Okay.
3: It's groups like this where, I know we've, we've really talked about this and mused about this so much on the show, but it's like, you know, what made this group not get their big break, not not have their moment in the sun? Because I could easily see this group contending with like lots of the groups from around this time period and they, they sound good. They sound great. I mean...
1: Yeah, well, and it's so hard well, to say. Sorry, go ahead, Lily.
2: Oh, I just think it's a lot has to do with how hard they've tried to show their name to the public. I mean, obviously, they're on those platforms, popular platforms, but if they don't actually plug themselves, like with um, uh, maybe kind of other kinds of mediums at first, like no one will just kind of find them on Spotify randomly. So maybe that.
0: Except has- for me. I did it. I did it. <laughs> yeah. You Can't hide from me. I'll find you.
1: I think this is actually, I think this is a good segue, you know, what it kind of takes as an independent artist or you know band to get your name out there and and get gigs and get performances and find these opportunities to yeah just get your name out there and and start your career. And so I think, you know, we decided before the show that we kind of want to talk about what it's like being an independent musician and really trying to have a career you know, obviously this band was in two thousand nine, but in, in the present today and, and what goes into that. And since we have Lily here with us and she's obviously been making this work for the last several years since graduating, it would be the perfect opportunity, opportunity to have this discussion. So what do you guys what do, what should we start with, guys? What do you think? Let How me do just wow
2: great segue. <laughs> yeah.
1: What do we yeah. want to start with?
0: Well, I guess we could talk a little bit about, uh, well, I suppose the conversation we had about skeletons with flesh on them and that we have about a lot of these groups we run into that's very like, well, you know, different genres, but it's certainly distinct from something like the the world of classical orchestral music, which has kind of its own sort of machinery that, uh, you know, um, works in different ways compared to, you know getting like a record deal or, or you know even just getting your name out to play shows at bars or shows at clubs or whatever so maybe you could uh go into a little bit or both you and Alili could go into a little bit sort of what the process is like for a classical musician an orchestral musician specifically you know getting a job or or, or what that looks like
1: yeah i think we can do that and i want to do that but i think what may help illuminate this process is if lily explains to us kind of her path of going from undergrad to getting her first calls for major orchestras and kind of like what that journey was like in a broad sense you know like so you started at boston you know obviously you practice very very hard all the way through uh all the way through your time at boston what what group did you play with what was the youth orchestra you played with
2: in boston uh, it was called the boston philharmonic youth orchestra led by benjamin zander
1: that's right and you know i remember from our time in peabody you really felt that playing with that group had been instrumental to you know kind of leading you getting you on the path to where you are now um, Yeah.
2: um I think, oh, sorry, do you have a question about nope, that?
1: No, I, I was just going to go. Can you just kind of like expand yeah. on what you felt were like the most important parts of um, your career in school and then helping you to prepare for these opportunities outside of school and ultimately get some of these opportunities that you've, you've Yeah.
2: Gotten? Um. Well, I think in undergrad, with a lot of musicians who I a lot of musicians just aren't sure if this is the career that they wanna go in yet. Um, like I just fell into music and not really not really wanting it. I was just, it just kind of what I was able to do best. And so I was like, okay, might as well give it a shot. And then in undergrad, I, I really wasn't sure that this is what I wanted to do until like probably senior year of college. But this youth orchestra that I was in I guess kind of opened my view a little bit to like the opportunities out there for me, just because this conductor in particular saw something in me and expressed it to me very clearly. So, I mean, I think having like that confidence boost being like, okay, yes, like this is something that is worth delving into was probably the main thing that, like got me here because otherwise you know without reassurance it's really hard to like kind of have that reassurance for yourself without knowing like kind of where you stand within other musicians um in the field so then going to Peabody I you know chose a really, really, really specific career path, which was piccolo that like a lot of people just you know don't like the piccolo, which is fine, but I thought that that was my like entryway into this really difficult career because it was like something different um so I don't know, I think with um with how how difficult it has been there like there's been so many rejections and then also so many positive, like, like positive affirmations from this as well. And you kind of have to just, I've learned just to be super resilient to everything. Um, I think that's the most important thing with like kind of navigating through the career is being resilient because it's very rare that you're just going to get what you want. And I had, you know, you have to learn that the hard way, literally by getting rejections. Um, so I don't know that, I don't know where I'm kind of going with this, but. Um.
1: I, I think you make a great point that um, I don't know if the average person or even maybe non orchestral musician realizes how much rejection is just inherent in the field. Like um, at this point, I have dozens, if not probably closing in on hundreds of rejections from festivals, orchestras, you know, like uh, petitions. Well, not petitions, but like uh, proposals to play places like it's just a normal part of the field. But it is very difficult to get rejection after rejection after rejection. And then maybe one out of every 10 rejections, you get like some kind of affirmation or some kind of positive, like, yeah, we'd love for you to come play or we'd love for you Mm -hmm. to be a part of our festival or um, you get a call out of the blue to come play with an orchestra. You know, like that kind of thing is not the standard for most orchestral musicians unless they're at like the very tippity top, you know? So Lily, one of the big things that... Uh, you got to do while you were at Peabody was you also got to attend in the summers what festival?
2: Um, Aspen Music Festival.
1: Yeah, so Lily was the uh, piccolo specifically the piccolo player at the Aspen Music Festival for was it four years, three years, four years? Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's I mean, um, for people outside of the field that don't know that's a that's a really big deal to be selected for that festival. Um, And then it's an even bigger deal to have a specific place in the orchestra that you know you're going to be playing in weekly, because otherwise you're just sort of thrown in the wind, rotated in and out as the orchestra sees fit. Um, But Lily had this permanent position and was invited back for four years in a row, which is really, really awesome. And do you think that that helped you um, get some of these jobs? outside of and get some of these gigs outside of uh, school once you had graduated?
2: Oh yeah. I think it was uh, almost the sole, sole reason. (laughs) I mean, at this festival, there's like 600 people there and, you know, from all over the place and a lot of them end up being really successful. And I think what I, not only did I just like love everybody who not love, but like got along with everybody who was there. But also after the festival, you keep up connections and you, um, just kind of like keep the keep the people who are really good like in the back of your head, being like, okay, this person, like, we gotta we gotta be on their good side here. So I think that just like kind of a lot of my friends like now have pretty big jobs and you just kind of get you get rolling with the connections here with um, getting, with my subbing work before the pandemic and stuff. Um, just kind of keeping up those con- connections and kind of reminding them like, yeah, I'm still here. Like, hello. <laughs> um, so I don't know, I think that was kind of how all of my freelance work started was just all of the people I knew from Aspen um, And yeah.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's a really important lesson is that anytime we play, especially places where we're not regularly playing. I mean, you were at Aspen for four years. So at that point, you know, you are regularly playing there. But every time you play, the people around you are listening and you just never know who's going to be listening and decides a year down the road, like, oh, I remember that Piccolo player from Aspen. Let's give her a call and see if she can come sub with us.
2: I yeah exactly I mean, the like,
1: piccolo
3: player the what? because <laughs> you're definitely going to hear the
1: piccolo player <laughs> yeah, everybody will know <laughs> yeah
2: yeah i just think it's like what if if anything from freelancing is that you just need to be a good person like first and foremost like i've seen so many people just kind of stumble along and they're like excellent musicians, like way better than me, you know, just not like totally understanding that like you just like 100% need to be a good person first instead of like focusing just like on yourself, which is hard to do because all we do is just like are in a room by ourselves practicing for ourselves. Um, But learning that there's a lot more to this career where you just, um, yeah, you don't want to, it's hard. You don't want to step on anybody's toes. You don't want to, like, say anything, like, as we can, as we've seen with so many kind of orchestras and backlashes with, like, any little word can hurt you so much um, that I think just being, being a good person is, like, really all, is, like, almost as important, almost as important as being a good musician.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's a super important point. Now I have to ask um, because I'm curious myself, we'd only talked about it a little bit, but what is it like playing with the New York Philharmonic?
2: It was scary at first. Like I've, like, I think that just kind of more just the thought of it is scary and intimidating, but then like when you're sitting there and you have to like be like you're 110% on game like there's really no time to think about how intimidating it is you just have to be like so confident that this is going to go perfectly and you've obviously well not a lot of the time i haven't had a lot of the calls I've gotten were like the night before or something. So I haven't had a lot of time to prepare the music, but you have to kind of fake it to yourself that you're really prepared. (laughs) Um, And unfortunately I think a lot also um, compartmentalizing needs to happen too, because I have to like just push aside all of my emotions and insecurities and just, you know, like that—that that can't be an issue on the day where I have to, like, you know, give it my all. Um, so it honestly, it was extremely rewarding. Obviously, just to play with such an amazing orchestra, and you know, just really affirming what that this is what I had wanted to do. Um, but this was pre-pandemic.
3: <laughs> so did you? I mean, that's amazing. Kaufman, like. She's huh? The, did you sub for Mindy Kaufman?
2: Yeah, she was on um sabbatical.
3: Oh, okay, okay. Cause uh. like I just remember uh, I forget what I heard her play, but you know, like when I was living in New York, um she had to play she had to play this heart st- that's what it was. Absolutely heart stopping solo in Shostakovich ten. Oh yeah. <laughs> the end that, of first movement. Yeah, that's like that's just could only be one of the most terrifying solos. Yeah. It's not even hard, right? It's just like a lot of long Oh,
2: moves. it's hard.
3: Well like not like not like, you know, <laughs> not technically
2: hard. But, but but yeah, anything that's not technical for me is harder than technical.
3: <laughs> I just remember hearing her play that and I was there also with, you know, a bunch of other classical musicians and yeah. uh, a flute, a flute player, and we were all just like <laughs> like nervous for her oh yeah because it's that's that's gotta be like one of the most anxiety inducing moments ever and i mean for me you know obo obo is like another sticks out like a sore thumb instrument right mm-hmm. but like i don't know just from when i played in orchestras you always feel like um everyone is looking at you when you're the one making the most obvious sound mm-hmm. and that feeling alone was like enough to make me realize like i don't think the orchestral world is like the job that I want to go down because that's just too much anxiety for me that's it It, yeah it's like way way too much for me piccolo like I always wonder it's like the piccolo and like the crash cymbal player they've got to have like nerves of steel because like you mess up you can't blame it on the other guy
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think well I guess to that that's what drew me to the piccolo is that I was like
3: loved the adrenaline rush of it it's nice. like walking on a tightrope.
0: <laughs> oh, so this yeah. uh, I have a question then. So you say you mentioned that a lot of these uh these kinds of gigs you get a call like, Hey, we need you tomorrow to come do this thing. What this is kind of a hypothetical what would be like the worst piece to hear that like, hey, we're gonna play this piece, can you come do it? Which is like, <laughs> I hope it's not this one.
2: Oh well that was my very first gig actually uh baltimore symphony called me at 6 a.m to go to their 10 a.m rehearsal of rite of spring
1: Oh, hooray that's right right of spring yeah oh, that
2: was my first yeah that was one of my first gigs um still at peabody uh i can't believe i even answered the phone i don't know why i it wasn't like i knew the that ID yeah. or anything and yeah i that was that was one of the most exhilarating moments if i say um but it wasn't to me like i wasn't i was freaking out but but freaking out because i was just like so excited so like i didn't ever think of it like as a stressful situation i was just more, more like oh my god this is like this is it <laughs>
3: nice but that's like that's like literally birth by fire like their baptism by fire like you know you can't you can't no, that's the firebird that's the firebird oh my god you know forget i <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thanks for tuning in folks. Come
0: around next week for more jokes. Yeah. This has been our podcast. Or
3: we got you there. Here. Wow. I yeah. literally just like handed that one too on a silver. Thank <laughs> you. That was a good one. That was a good yeah. pickup. Nice Thank one. You.
1: Yeah, no, that's a that is a crazy way to get your first uh major symphony orchestra gig. Yeah, just a call. We're doing we're doing right of spring in four hours. Hope you can make it.
3: I got a little yeah. question for uh, for the two of you um, because, you know, Lily, you touched on this, like, you know, talking about how, how much of, for any musician really, it's it's all about not only the work that you put in, like in the practice room, but, you know, the work you put on outside of the practice room, being a good person. That's a very nice and simple way to say it, honestly. But, um, you know, being just like a good person's not like just enough. Um, so, you know so much of, of being an artist being a musician is is like managing your own brand really right like so um especially because you and eric i think both do this in in different ways and and in different capacities too like what do you what do you guys think in, as, and now especially with the pandemic you know managing your brand as being like part of the musician's job kind of you know what i mean
1: yeah do you want to start or do you want me to start
2: uh you can start with that one <laughs>
1: Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's only only going to become more important as time moves on um, that an artist has to continually manage their brand and make sure that people know that they're still out there. Um, for me, you know, it wasn't something I was really interested in doing pre-pandemic and that I pretty much tried to make sure the people... I knew in the area, knew I was still there so that I would keep getting calls for subs and like gigs and and that kind of stuff. But like having a larger brand than that and an overall brand wasn't something I was particularly interested in because, you know, I was getting work, right? People knew, at least in the area, who I was. And I was confident that if I kept plugging away at that, um, eventually, you know, bigger and better opportunities would come down the road. And they might have and they might not have. I don't know. Like, But I think moving forward, every artist, it's it's going to be it's going to have to be a part of every artist's sort of training to make sure that they're constructing a brand to get their name out there. Now, I'm not sure that applies to Lily because Lily does have so many contacts in large orchestras at this point, you know, like and they do know who she is because she did everything right on the way up you know like she made these friends and she's a very genuine person and she's a great player so like you know they're they're always going to have your name in the back of their head but for a lot of artists you know that's it's just not going to be the case but what do you think lily i don't want to speak for you
2: well i mean i definitely haven't been plugging i haven't like during the pandemic especially done anything to promote myself but that's not because I don't think I need to at all it's more just like I've put my very I've just put orchestra on the back burner I'm not really sure it's just I don't really feel like I'm someone anyways to be very outspoken about myself or just like whatever I don't know why I just don't do that and So that's like kind of the only reason why I haven't been, um, you know, coming up with really creative things that you've been coming up with, Eric. Like, I think your videos are hilarious and like really, really well done. Um, And I, you know, I just, uh, yeah, I've just put it on the back burner, but it's really, there's really no reason for me to be doing that. I just, I just don't feel like it.
1: Here's, Here's my question for you. Um, because I think a lot of classical musicians are the same. And I certainly felt the same way pre-pandemic that I didn't really care if anyone knew who I was. I wasn't interested in social media. Like if you look at my Instagram account, account pre-pandemic, there's like nothing on there. Like almost <laughs> nothing. You know, I posted like 18 times pre-pandemic. Yeah. Um, And I wasn't interested in maintaining any kind of social media presence. And I'm not the kind of person normally I feel like that would really want to put themselves out there in that way. But Lily, over the pandemic, you have been posting, just not on your flute account, right? Oh, I mean,
2: right. I was like, what are you talking
0: about?
1: <laughs> He's got that file.
2: <laughs> no, I've been baking.
1: Yeah, but you're, you're, you post about your baking on social media. you know. What? So wh- right. what do you think it is about that? that like the separation where the separation exists that you feel comfortable presenting your work in that way and not necessarily in the piccolo way without maybe getting too deep into it you know like that could be a very complicated question
2: there's probably a reason for that that i haven't even like come to you're right but i think uh yeah i'm more comfortable posting as like not me so like my my name on Instagram is Bach to baking. So of course there's a slight musical hint in there, but I feel fine posting because everybody that I follow, except like, you know, a couple friends are just bakers on Instagram. Like nobody know, like nobody knows like who I really am. <laughs>
3: oh, well oh, fuck. Hell yeah. I didn't, I didn't know you were doing this.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, in a very minimal business um, thing. So
3: I mean you have I, like a thousand followers. That's nothing to that's nothing to throw a stick at.
2: It's just it's just playing the Instagram game. It's like you just you you follow, you like, you comment, you follow up later with more comments. <laughs> and and if they the don't follow you within the next day, you unfollow. No, excuse <laughs> yeah.
1: They're dead
3: to you, you hate them. That's still the game though, and that's very much the same game that like Eric was talking about. Is, right. Like, now we've all found ourselves playing the playing the system, playing the algorithm. Right. You
2: know? But like, it's everyone
3: knows the algorithm.
2: It's it's absolutely then because it's it's uh it's just, there's well, I do post I guess pictures of myself, but it's not that no it's really nobody sees
1: me. It's somewhat anonymous or it's like a different part of you, like maybe.
2: Yeah, I guess I you can know. like
1: compartmentalize Lily the baker and Lily the piccolo player, maybe.
2: I don't. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I have. I'm multiple personalities or something. I
3: have been busy. Oh my god. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> <I've been busy. laughs> uh, yeah, it's just a fun side thing. It's taken my mind off of a lot of the stresses of music, so I think that's also why. I feel more comfortable sharing that is because it's totally stress free and there's, you know, no insecurities with that. You know, if someone doesn't like my baking, I don't care. I'm not trying to make my life like earnings from that, you know? So that's probably the, the thought process with posting on that instead of my own page.
0: So now here's a question. What's like the rite of spring of baking? What's the most difficult thing to (laughs) make?
2: Well, everyone got into that sourdough phase at the beginning mm. of the pandemic. Sourdough is really hard. I tried to make a sourdough starter from scratch where you have to like feed it twice a day for like seven days. And it this was over the summer and uh, it blew up in my mom's cabinet and oh, smoked no. on
0: it. <laughs> so. That's just what happens if you play Rite of Spring poorly too.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> so. That's funny. <laughs> i wouldn't wouldn't souffle be like is that baking huh isn't souffle baking is a is souffle baking
2: oh have you scrolled all the way down
3: <laughs> oh did you make souffle
2: yeah i made a, well, I thought i did maybe i did post that one um souffle? yeah that's for sure baking
3: because isn't that like notoriously difficult
2: yeah oh yeah
1: but that it's one. no problem for lily
2: I was like, oh, that thing? That was what I... I did that. That was one of my first ones.
1: Yeah, first try.
0: Is that the one that's like, if you make a loud noise, it's gonna collapse?
3: It deflates, yeah.
0: (laughs) Is that true? Does that actually happen?
3: I guess you're just gonna have to find out, Robbie. Can you report back to us next week?
0: Shit, I don't know how to make a souffle!
1: Alright, well, you know, I think we've gotten some really, really interesting um, insights from Lily. Uh... Do we wanna move on? I I think, you know, time wise we've we've gone for a while. Do we wanna move on to that point in the podcast where we talk about what we listened to this past week?
0: Yeah, let's run through that real quick. Pull an and
1: Lily, just in case, you know, just to fill you in, we talk about whatever music you were, you know, you had on in the background this week. Or Eric? that you put on repeat. <laughs> Who wants to go first? Who wants to talk about what they listened to this well, week? Well,
3: since I was talking and making fun of you, I guess I'll I'll start. Um yeah, I don't know why. I just, you know, I'm sure we all do this all the time. I just like really came back to um the Bach violin partita number 2 and um I was like showing my uh my girlfriend the the Busoni arrangement of the Chaconne. Robbie, do you know that oh, one? Oh
0: yeah, for the Is that Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, it's and it's just like so good. And today I was listening to it with only the violin sheet music in front of me to kind of like see, because there's some differences and, and, you know, filling in the texture and right. and even taking lines earlier in the composition and like working them in as like counter melody. And it's, it's just like so cool to see how Busoni got into like the mind of Bach really there. And I, I find those, there's like the Bach Busoni and then there's also the famous uh, Handel Halverson Uh, Of of like that that, with like the violin and the cello. Mm -hmm. So those those pieces, I just love them, and I've I've been listening to the Schicone like all day.
0: You know, Doctor Murray, Eric, one of our old professors, he thought Busoni was like the greatest pianist of the last hundred years, and like maybe one of the greatest composers too. He was a big. Did he really? He did. He was a big Busoni guy. He said the best piano recording that exists is Busoni playing, like, the 11th Hungarian Rhapsody. And he told me I would need to listen to a hundred other recordings of it first to understand why. And I haven't done that. Why
1: it was so so, great. (laughs) So
0: I don't know why, but that's what
1: he says. Yeah, you can just take his word for it.
0: Oh, yeah. Go ahead. That's fine. I believe you.
1: All right, but what did you listen to this week, Robbie?
0: This week, I listened to uh, another old favorite of mine, the album Night Dreamer by Wayne Shorter. And this is kind of like... Uh, you know, Wayne Schroeder famously, of course, played in Miles Davis's second great quintet. Kind of that's where he got his start. Uh, in Night Dreamer, this album is sort of him beginning his solo career, and you can really hear, uh, you know, the beginnings of the development of that style of his playing, you know, for that period. Lots of really interesting compositions. Wayne Schroeder's a great composer. Uh, and yeah, it's got a lot of great players on it too. It's got basically the the Coltrane quartet backing band, Elvin Jones and I think it's more Chloe on piano. So good album, Night Dreamer.
1: Good stuff. Lily, what about you? What'd you listen to this week?
2: Um, I've recently, uh, was introduced to the artist Sammy Ray, which I'm not sure if she's a big name, actually. No,
1: I, I don't know that name.
2: Um, she's young. She's probably our age. Um, she does kind of like independent jazz fusion kind of music, um, this one song called talk it up i think is like my jam now in the car um just really feel good music and um i like that she doesn't use like a belty voice (laughs) okay yeah it's like kind of jazzy and uh
1: that was sammy ray you said
2: yeah ray r-a-e
1: r-a-e oh okay cool nice yeah i'll have to check that out um yeah, and I guess this week, uh, you guys will be absolutely shocked by this. What could it be? What are, I, what are you going to surprise us with this week, Eric? Well, the principal clarinetist of the Concertgebouw released some no idea where this is going. YouTube yeah? recordings released some YouTube recordings of the Beethoven Trio, Opus 11. However, all right, all right, he's playing them on boxwood clarinets. So that's that's kind of crazy, right? Ooh. What is that? Ooh. So normally.
0: Box <laughs> own wood that he used for his clarinets.
1: <laughs> yeah, so normally clarinets are made out of um, African blackwood, an African blackwood called grenadilla. But they used to be made out of a uh, wood called boxwood in the 18th and 19th centuries, predominantly. The problem with boxwood is that it warps very, very quickly. And isn't as stable as African Blackwood, so we tend to not make instruments out of it anymore. But he had some instruments made out of it and decided to record some stuff anyway. You know. So pretty cool. Slightly different sound. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, it was fun. Do you All only
3: listen right. to
2: clarinet music?
1: What? Do you uh, mean- it's I don't only listen to clarinet music, but it does seem to be what I tend to talk to on the talk about on this. podcast. <laughs> okay. Can't, can't imagine why. Uh, All well, right, Robbie, you want to do our outro?
0: Yeah. Well, thanks so much for listening and Lily. Thanks again for coming on. It was really great to have you on and hear you talk. Is there anything you'd like to plug or any social media? Speaking of any social media or anything you'd like to mention? Where can people find you?
2: Um yeah, thanks so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. I I wish I had a group, like a weekly group like this. Um But I guess the only plug I have would be non music, which is my Bak to Baking Instagram account, where you can follow all of my baking and I usually post on Sundays.
1: <laughs> Great. We'll put that in the uh in the bio for this episode, Bak to Baking.
2: Great.
0: And you can connect with us uh well. Firstly, please wherever you're listening, rate and review. That really helps the show. Really helps us out if you do that. And uh, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Drop the Needle in the Haystack, and on Twitter at DropHaystack. Um, Eric, you want to take it away?
1: Absolutely. As always, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll catch you next week.